morning, uh, this summer, we're uh, thinking together about uh, the life that God desires for us to live, right? And uh, we're keying in on John 10.10, where Jesus says that he came so that we could have life and have life abundantly. And uh, we want to continue to think about that. And I want to suggest to you this morning that way back at the very beginning of time, way back in Genesis, um, God made a promise. And that promise uh, was made to a man named Abram, right, in Genesis chapter 12. And that promise was that God was going to bless all the families of the earth, all the ethne of the earth. And I want to suggest to you that that promise runs all through the course of human history, carries us into eternity in the future. And God's promise gives us a kind of a worldview that enables us to understand what's going on in our life, enables us to make sense of what's happening in our lives. It enables us uh, to take the, the small story of our individual lives, and every life has a story, and attach it to the big story of what God's doing for all of eternity. Take our little story of our individual lives and attach it to the big story of what God is up to in eternity. And I want to suggest that the uh, promise that God makes is kind of the unifying theme of Scripture. You know, it's one thing to have Scripture, but it's another thing to interpret Scripture, right? Remember last week I mentioned to you that in the 119th Psalm, uh, the Bible says the sum of God's word is truth. Each individual part, people like, you know, well, I've had people say all the time, you know, well, I really like this verse, I'm like, well, that's good, but God wrote the whole thing, you know, and guess what? What you like about this verse over here in this verse says something else. You know, like the Bible creates kind of a a tension, if you will, where the truth is really found, you know, Um, and that's not where I'm supposed to go today. So, um, but I like to talk about it, right? So God basically said, to Abraham, you know, I'm going to bless you, and then through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And so God gives that promise, and then a little bit later, God comes to Abram again, and he says, I'm going to give you some land. And the land of Israel, you know, was given by God uh, for the Jewish people. And you can read through, you know, uh, this section, but we're still fighting about it today, right? I mean, it's pretty significant. Uh, the land of Israel, it's kind of the center of the world. I have a friend that uh, works at the United Nations, and a couple years ago he said 90% of the discussion at the United Nations is about the Middle East, 90%. So there's the rest of the world, but there's Israel right in the middle of you know, all that's always going on over there. So then God comes to Abraham again, and God, you know, a, a few chapters later, a few years later, uh, by this time, Abraham, Abram's uh, 75 years old. He still doesn't have any kids. And God came and said to him, you know, I'm going to make a great nation of you. You're going to, uh, you know, be a, a blessing to everybody. And so obviously, uh, he needed to have uh, a son, and uh, he hadn't had that yet. So God comes to him again in uh, Genesis chapter 15, and uh, God brings him outside, uh, verse, uh, what verse is that, 5? God brings him outside and says, look toward the heaven, number the stars, if you're able. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed God, 
He believed him, and God counted it to Abraham as righteousness. That's the gospel in Genesis, right? That's uh, what, what we read from Romans this morning in the scripture is an explanation of how we uh, now in the New Testament on this side of the cross and so on are really sons and daughters of Abraham. This is, it started with this promise that God made way back in the very beginning of time and uh, it's carried all the way through history. It's the theme that holds the whole Bible together and so forth. It's God's desire to give us what Jesus called the abundant life, right? He wants us to bless the people that he made. And so uh, he says, you know, come on outside, count the stars. Uh, You're going to have descendants as numerous as them. In verse 8, Abram says to God, oh, Lord God, how am I going to know that this is actually going to happen? How can I know that this is going to happen? So in uh, this chapter, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Back in that day, when you wanted to ratify a deal or, you know, today we write a contract and people sign it and it ratifies the deal or you know, uh, brings the deal to a head and so on. In that day, they used to take animals and they'd cut the animals in half and they would lay them out on the ground and create an aisle, kind of like the church center aisle here. And the two parties of uh, the uh, deal would walk through the aisle and basically they would be saying, may this happen to me if I don't live up to my end of the deal. And that's how they would seal a deal. And in this instance, um, God says to Abram, you know, bring me some animals, and he's going to do this, and, um, and then he has Abram go to sleep, and God by himself, verse 17, God by himself walks the aisle, and God is saying, I am going to do this, I am going to bless all the families, all the ethne of the earth, whether you're with me or not, Abraham, <laughs> God's like, you know, I'm sovereign, and I've got a plan, and Jesus is going to come, and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, and I'm going to do it with or without you. And so in verse 17, it says, uh, when the sun had gone down and when it was dark, behold, a a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt uh, to the great river of Euphrates and so on. God said, I'm going to do this, you know, whether anybody cooperates with me or not. We have a sovereign God. He can do what he chooses to do. And so uh, I think it's significant that God made this promise and then ratified it uh, and that he did it by himself. You know, smoking pot and... uh, fiery torch, the same symbols that God used to lead the people of Israel through the wilderness, right? Same, same. remember there was a cloud by day and a fire by night, and so they're symbols of God's presence, and God walked through these animals, and you know, God's like, you know, if I don't do this, I'm not God. If I don't do this, and so you and I are a part of this promise that God makes up, and so I believe that Jesus sort of picks up on this promise when he comes to us in John 10, And he says, I'm here that you might have this abundant life. I'm here to bring the blessing that God had talked about since the beginning of time. And I'm here to kind of uh, exercise it, make it happen, uh, the abundant life. And so we saw that the abundant life does two things. It satisfies us, right? And uh, back in Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and then through you, I'm going to bless everybody else. 
And so we saw that when Jesus, when Jesus uses the word abundantly, basically it means that he, that life that he gives satisfies us, makes us content, and then overflows with abundance so that we too, just like Abram, like God said to Abram, might overflow into the world around us, into the other people's lives around us in order that they too might receive the blessing that God desires for everyone uh, that he created. He so loves the world that he sent Jesus, you know, for everyone. Uh, so you might remember uh, the story of the prodigal son, right? Probably Luke chapter 15. You probably remember the story of the prodigal son. It's about a father and two lost kids, you know, two lost sons. And uh, in that story that Jesus told, the father represents God and uh, the two sons, I would suggest to you, represent two different kinds of lostness, two different kinds of unblessed or non-abundant living, two different kinds of lostness. And uh, the father, again, represents God. Now, the word prodigal, all right, it just means recklessly extravagant, recklessly extravagant, lavish, Right? Uh, it's close to our word abundant, prodigal. It just means, you know, over the top. It just means uh, lavish. Um, It's close to our word abundant. It means more than necessary. Um, It means spend until you have nothing left. And uh, I would like to suggest to you that uh, this story that Jesus told, which we call the prodigal son, is really about the prodigal father. It's the father who's recklessly extravagant, right? And I think the enemy, maybe the thief, has stolen, you know, uh, where the spotlight should be in this story. But anyway, you know the story. The young son comes to his father. He wants his inheritance. He wants the money, but he doesn't want the old man, right? I want what God will give me, but I don't want God telling me how to live. And so I'll take everything I can get, I'll take all the blessings I can gather, and I'm going off, and the Bible says he left for a far country, far away from dad, you know, far away from God. And uh, he goes and he, you know, uh, foolishly spends all his money, he ends up having nothing to eat, and uh, the Bible says when he comes to his senses, in uh, Luke chapter 15, when he comes to his senses, he um, repents. And he decides, I'm going to go home. My father's got servants who are living better than me. Maybe I can be one of his servants. I'm going to go home and appeal to him. I'm going to repent, and uh, I'm going to see what can happen, you know. And uh, so, of course, you know the story. Um, The father goes prodigal over the kid. The kid comes back. The father sees him. The father goes running after him, very undignified, right? God goes running after us, right, wants us, can't wait, hugs, he hugs the kid, he kisses the kid, you know, and uh, the kid starts to open his mouth to say, I'm so sorry, and God, God, the the father, cuts him off, says, don't even talk about it, you know, go get the best robe, bring the family ring, put sandals on his feet, and uh, kill the fatted calf, we're having veal tonight, we're going to celebrate. This son of mine who was lost is found. This son of mine who was dead, who had no abundant life, right, is alive. He's back. I'm going to put my life into him, you know. And um, so he comes home. 
the father is so excited. Uh, and the other son, the older son, he's just as far away from the father's heart as the younger brother, but he doesn't know it. And um, he wouldn't come to the party, you know, right? He wouldn't come to the party. In Luke chapter uh, 15, uh, Luke chapter 15 and verse uh, 28, here's what we read about the older son. The older son was angry. The older son was angry, and uh, he refused to go into the party, and so his father came out to him. Just like the father went out to the younger son, the father goes out to the older son as well to appeal to him, to talk to him, to try to convince him to come to the party. And uh, to share the father's heart, like I love my kid and he's home and I'm, I thought he was dead and he's back and, and I'm so happy about it and, and so on. And so, uh, you know, he, uh, he just can't get into it. And so he wouldn't surrender to his father's heart. A prodigal God out to bless the world with his own life, his own love, his own grace, his own mercy, uh, when you go on to read the rest of the Bible, you read that God gave everything he had when he put Jesus on the cross. He pays a debt that Jesus didn't owe, a debt that God didn't owe, and uh, suffers himself and puts, um, you know, uh, puts the best robe around us, wraps us in the purity of white sinlessness by his grace, uh, puts the family ring on us. God says to us in the scriptures, you can call me Abba, Dad makes us part of the family, restores us back, finds a place for us to belong. People so struggling with identity today. Who am I? Trying to establish an identity by something other than your child of the living God. What could be more significant than that? And uh, why? It, that's why the church should be this melting pot of you know, all different people from all different places whose identity is found in being children, sons and daughters of the living God. But this older brother, he just uh, couldn't get into it. He's got an unforgiving, judgmental spirit. Um, the older brother didn't really know his father, did he? He thought he did. He thought that if he worked hard enough and did enough right things, the father would love him. He thought he knew his father. And uh, not only that, but he's telling his father that he's wrong, right, for forgiving the other kid. He's really angry now. The, I think, legally, you know, the kid got half of the money and so goes and splits it. But if he comes home and he's reestablished in the house, now he gets half of what's left over again. So, wow, he's getting more than I'll ever get. And the older brother is kind of ticked off. And uh, he, uh, I'd say the older brother, you know, when you get to the place where you're criticizing God, I'd say you think you're God. I think the older brother's problem is that he thought he was God. And I got news, you know, I am not God. God is God. And when you realize that you're not God, there are three uh, consequences, I think, that come into your life when you realize, I am not God, all right? Number one, I'm not in control. I'm not God. I am not in control. God's in control. God is God, and God is in control. God is sovereign. He's out to bless everybody. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's been doing it since the beginning of time, and this older brother here is just out of step with who God is and what God's about, what he's up to. 
and this kid is not in control. Number two, uh, because I'm not God, I'm not to judge. I have no business judging God's other people. I'm not the judge. God's the judge. I'm not God. God is God. And I'm not the judge. That's God's job. God will judge as he judges, right? That's what, he's, what he says in his word. And then the third thing is, because I'm not God, um, I don't deserve the praise that belongs to God. Every good thing, the Bible says, comes down from heaven above. If you got some bad things, yeah, that I'm responsible for. But the good stuff, wow, that comes from God. I am not God. God is God. And once, if the older brother could have just understood who he is in relationship to the Father, who in Jesus' story represents God, uh, what a difference it would have made. I am not in, uh, in control. I'm not the judge. And I am not the one that should get the praise. The Father should be getting the praise if the older son had only understood uh, who the father really is. And the Bible goes on to explain this, I think, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 19. Uh, let me just read this, you know. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So first God reconciles us, gets rid of our sin and shame, you know, fills us, satisfies us, makes us content. And then he entrusts to us, right? Uh, it, it says here in, in verse 19 that he uh, is reconciling the world to himself through us. And look at this. He's doing it by not counting people's trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I'm going to fill you up enough so that you can overflow and spill into the world in which I've placed you so that my blessings might flow not just to you and that you be a dead end, but that they will go through you to bless all the ethne of the earth. That's been my plan since the beginning of time. And this is a great passage, you know. Um, we have been entrusted with a message of reconciliation. We have the privilege of going to anybody and saying, you might not know this, but guess what? Your sins are already paid for. You might be walking around full of shame. You, I got the solution for you. You know, I've been entrusted with the message of God's desire to reconcile, to bring both brothers, both kinds of lostness back to himself. He's, in fact, going first. He comes to us and in in Jesus, God comes to us and invites us, you know, to come back to him. God is waiting to restore his life back into the people that he created to bless all the families of the earth. But these two kinds of lostness stand in the way. Two different kinds of lostness. So God intends to, you know, deliver his abundant life uh, through us. And, and the next verse says, therefore, Paul says, you know, we are ambassadors What's an ambassador? Well, it's somebody who represents one country or one kingdom in somebody else's kingdom, right? We are ambassadors. We are, the Bible says, our citizenship is in heaven. Once you're a Christian, your citizenship, your papers, they're in heaven, right? But we are ambassadors to the world for God's glory, for God's sake, 
Um, and, and anyway, so on. So here's the question. Then. All right, how do we get this abundant life downloaded into our lives? How is it that we can experience more of the abundant life that God desires to give us? Uh, how does that happen? And I'm so glad you asked because in Second uh, Peter, uh, God tells us. And so uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, these are just great passages of Scripture. Number one, uh, his divine power. Okay, the first thing I would say is this abundant life does not come from us working harder. Older brother lostness. This abundant life comes from God's power. It comes from God putting his power to work in our lives to overcome our lostness. And so Peter tells us, you know, his divine power, listen to this, has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. He's already given to us. He's already made a grant. And you've got everything you need for life, this life, and for godliness, to grow in godly. You already have it. So if you meet somebody and they're like, oh, man, I just wish God would forgive me. I'm like, you got it. You already got it. God will give it to you. It's already been paid for. It's just waiting for you to receive it. Um, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, I'm just waiting for God to do the next thing. I need God to do more for me. I need God to, you know, no. You already have everything you need, according to Peter. Okay, to life and godliness. How do I get it? Through the knowledge of him who called you to his own glory and excellence. You know how you get it? By the renewing of your mind. Remember what uh, Paul said in Corinthians? He said the enemy, uh, the thief that Jesus talked about, um, blinds people's minds to the truth, to the gospel, to Jesus. And so Peter says, well, through knowledge, right, the sum of God's word is truth. And it'll take a lifetime and beyond to grasp everything that God has given to us in his word. And so his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God's way of giving us this blessed, abundant life is according to his own glory and excellence. He has called us to become like Christ. He wants to put his life in us. That's the abundant life. It's the life that God grants to us. And so... Uh, Okay, verse 4, next verse. By which he has granted to us through his precious uh, and very great promises. How do you get a hold of this abundant life? Well, God has made fantastic promises to all of us. The Bible is loaded with promises. And when you can take God at his word and believe the promises, it changes our mind about how we live, right? If God comes to us and says, listen, I promise I will never leave you or forsake you, can you stop worrying about the future? Or do you not believe that God means what he says when he makes a promise like that? Right? 
Uh, and so how do we grasp this abundant life? It's through the promises of God. And here's the best part. Uh, this is just great. By which God has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through those promises, listen, you may become a partaker of the divine nature. You can become a partaker. I am not God, but I am partaking of the nature of God through believing the promises that he's given to me. I am being transformed. That's what Peter is saying. How do I grab this abundant life and make it real in my everyday living? I do it through putting my faith in the promises that God's made. And God, in turn, begins to, by his power, transform us into the likeness of Christ. He puts his nature, the nature of Jesus, into us. And the lostness, you know, either kind of lostness, begins to dissipate in favor of the abundant life that God has for us and wants to give us. It's such a great thing to think, I am not God, but I am a partaker of his nature. He's transforming me and changing me to be more like himself in order that I might live abundantly according to his promises. What a great God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, your word is so rich, and uh, when we open it and when we uh, allow your word to get past just our minds and get into our hearts and into our spirit, uh, I just thank you so much, Father, that you actually transform our lives and that we begin to live this abundant life that's like yours. And uh, bit by bit, here a little, there a little, uh, we are transformed. And we are able to take the excess that you give to us that we don't deserve, all by your grace, that we're able to take that and share it with others, that we're able to take the forgiveness you give us and give it to the next person, that we're able to take the love that you have for us that has no limits, you know, that's like the father in the prodigal son story, uh, and give it to other people, uh, to love people, even though they might not deserve it, like we don't deserve your love. And uh, we thank you, Father, that you have made us so rich in spiritual realities and uh, that you have opened our eyes to your goodness. And I pray, Father, that when we overflow to the world around us, that you might be glorified for who you are, a God who desires to bless all the families of the earth through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.